Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Mujahat And we are excited to be joined and welcome to the show Andy Campbell, who is a senior editor at Huffington Post and also the author of We Are Proud Boys, How a Right-Wing Street Gang Ushered in a New Era of American Extremism. Welcome, Andy. So happy to be here. Thanks, you guys, for having me. You know, I, Andy, you said uh, us your book, and I appreciate you you sending me a terrifying book to read before I sleep that kept me awake right. for a couple of hours. You know, we're discussing Proud Boys, uh, which, you know, the leaders of the Proud Boys and the leaders of the Oath Keepers right now are under trial for seditious conspiracy because they participated in the violent insurrection. And you're sitting, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I remember the Proud Boys. Wasn't this like a joke started by that Vice guy? And I just want for the listeners, for you to connect the dots, the origin story, because oftentimes what starts off as shit talking and shit posting and snark and, oh, we're just kidding, wink, wink, very quickly in American right-wing politics transforms into violence. So let's take this DeLorean back, if you will, to Gavin McInnes. How did the Proud Boys start? Right. Uh, that, that shit talking and snark you're talking about, <clears throat> Gavin McInnes uh, is a big purveyor that he was uh, the co-founder of Vice Media, um, and he sort of made a name for himself based off of this snarky, misogyny, bigotry, uh, you know, that was funny, quote unquote, to consumers back in the early aughts. Uh, and and Gavin filled the pages of, of Vice. He was their editorial voice with, with just the worst uh, uh, bigotry ever, uh, one of which, one of his articles was, uh, basically a di- uh, guide to date rape uh, in Vice. And so that was just kind of an example of what he was putting in there. Now, as Vice media becomes more popular, they become beholden to advertisers and you know public culture, uh, they push Gavin out. And, and Gavin, unlike some of the comedians that he was running around in his circle, like David Cross and Sarah Silverman, Gavin doubles down on on this rhetoric. He he's super nationalist, super misogynist, and he brings his audience of just 
horrible, uh, angry young men to his new show, the Gavin McGinnis show. And as he as he brings those people over, he peppers them with just even more bigotry. He he has tenets for his audience, one of which is to venerate the housewife. He believes that that women and women in the workplace are uh, responsible for the end of masculinity. Um, he says that anyone can come and hang out as long as they agree and accept that white men are responsible for the success of Western culture. Oh, so that's, that's the same rule here that we have on democracy issues. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, um, and we no, can get Andy, into- you know, before you finish, and pardon me for interrupting you, sure. it's important for people to know that, you know, he labels himself a comedian. And, and I knew other comedians who said, hey, he, I think he, they're just shit talkers. I think they're just having fun. And in, in, in the guise of comedy and entertainment, he kind mm-hmm. of launders this. And, and there's an right. anecdote that you told in the book, which I wish I had known before, is that the stupid name of Proud Boys started because he picked on this little Latino kid right. at school. And he was so right. pissed off. Can you just tell that story real quick? Yeah, he, he's sitting in uh, his children's recital um, at, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And he gets done watching his daughter and and son play the drums and guitar. And this little kid with brown skin gets up and sings uh, a a number from the Aladdin musical, Proud of Your Boy. And he's sitting on his his talk show making fun of this kid. He calls him a fatherless Puerto Rican. He calls him gay. Uh, He's he's laughing about this. He's, uh, you know, upset at his wife that he had to be in the audience at all. Uh, Proud of Your Boy becomes a running joke on the show and callers in, you know, say it right when they call in as if they were saying uh, first time caller, long time listener, right? This is a calling card now. Um, and so that's sort of repeated over and over. And eventually it becomes the name of the gang. But, but you know, the, the idea that any of this was a joke, um, that there was no racism uh, within the Proud Boys is is absolute lunacy. I mean, not only does it, is all of the the tenets that he has for these guys um, bigoted in nature, but he regularly, and this makes him different from you know a Joe Rogan or an Alex Jones. He turns to the camera and he tells these guys, "They're coming for you. These are the mm-hmm. tenets that we have for you. Go out in the street and fight with this. Take your rage into the street. Attack people." 
a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Do you know what's, what I find so amazing all the time is nothing says masculinity like picking on a small child at your kid's play, right? right? Like nothing spells, you know, I am the king of my castle than making fun of a child. You know, I, I want you, Andy, to, to, to kind of, you know, weave for us, because what people don't understand um, is, is I'm certain as, you know, the testicle tanning Tucker Carlson uh, and his posse good use of in, alliteration, in the world. Danielle. That was excellent. Thank you so much. Um, you know, is the intertwining of misogyny with white supremacy and how we see that play out in policy in our country, right? So, right now, we've witnessed back in June the overturning of Roe v. Wade, um, which would then allow for states to be able to dictate the autonomy of a woman's body and people with uteruses, which then forces them back into a system where they are dependent on men. And when I often rage about patriarchy uh, and misogyny, um, people don't seem to connect the dots. And so I want to, I want you, you know, to, to make it very clear how misogyny is interwoven with white supremacy and how it has become one of their tenants. Right. I mean, you know, they are obsessed with, with uh, testosterone, with masculinity. Obviously, women aren't allowed in the Proud Boys. But Gavin, you know, below every everything he says, there is a, a current of, of misogyny involved there. I mean, he he jokes on the show about raping his wife. Um, he he you know jokes on the show about women you know bringing down masculinity, and he says you know there you know if you get out there and fight, you're going to take back uh, uh, masculinity. The feminization of men is going to be over, and he has like these bizarre rules. Uh, for the Proud Boys that are just these hyper-masculine and very embarrassing rules um, uh, that kind of show you that this is this is woven in. One of the rules that he has uh, is the second degree. There are four degrees uh, in the Proud Boys ranking system. The second degree is the most embarrassing one. It requires uh, that you not masturbate uh, unless you're within several feet of a woman and uh, this is a this is a totally wait, wait yeah. unless unless you're in several feet of a woman like unless right. you're like near a woman absolutely um, so, so so you, you have to be near a woman to masturbate I just want to get that you you, you can imagine uh, the wow. situations that that put wow. puts proud boys in now now he says that this is going to make you uh, better at uh, fighting it's going to make you more virile better in bed with your wife or girlfriend um, it's based off of totally bunk science. There's a 2001 study with a sample size of like 10 that found like not masturbating leads to higher testosterone levels. 
there's studies that say the opposite. But the point is, he's subjecting these guys to to these hyper hyper masculine uh, uh, falsities um, that that sort of push them toward you know his his main goal, which is the political violence. But the undercurrent, like you said, is is white supremacist in nature. It is misogynist in nature, and it echoes all of the shit you're seeing on Fox News, all of the shit you're hearing mm. from coming mm-hmm. from Trump's mouth. Mm-hmm. This is this is a a a cycle um, of of white supremacy and misogyny um, that that plays out in all all of these forms in politics and media and with our street gangs. You know, uh, when, when you call them a racist gang, oftentimes their supporters, what they say to you on Twitter is, "Look at Enrique Torres. He's not white. We got Latinos. We got black folks." We welcome everyone. This is just you mocking us and using your usual liberal slander against us. Right. You know, what you just described, I would never join this group in a thousand years. Like if even if right. like you if he told me like a, I had a choice between punch in the face and joining this group, I'm like, just punch me in the face. These guys are losers. Right. What is it about this group specifically that attracts even those who are not white, like Latinos and black folks who join this group and say, hey, you know what? Even though this guy literally hates us and is xenophobic and is ridiculous. I want to be part of the proud boy. What is so attractive, especially to men of color, to this racist organization? I'm glad you brought it up. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what Danielle said about the the interwovenness of of all the different forms of bigotry. I mean, Gavin McGinnis Mm -hmm. cast such a wide net. Anybody can join. There are neo-Nazis. There are people of color, although there are very few. And they are gathering under different banners. Some guys want to go out there and just fight. Some guys want to go out there and extinguish people of color. And some people, you know, hate women, right? It's, it's all, they are gathering under the political violence banner, but also, um, you know, to your point, like the, they hold the very few people of color they have aloft as evidence constantly that they aren't white supremacists. And so they're, they're tokenized. Absolutely. Um, uh, Enrique Tario, the, the chairman is is sort of held as this banner, and and to this day, people ask that question: um, How can they be racist if they have people of color? Uh, uh, it, so it, it certainly worked and served. It, it, look at the Republican Party. Uh, yeah. but I digress. I just <laughs> totally. I, I was going to say, I'm like, how can how can you be how can you be racist when you're sleeping with your when when you're raping your slaves, right? right? Like, give me a, like the the logic um, is absent, and and maybe it is because of some of the tenants that they have um, that also has them lose their brain cells. Um, Andy, you know, I want to I want to move to the place where we see this quote unquote joke move from joke to center stage at a presidential debate Mm -hmm. in 2020 with Donald Trump and uh, then candidate Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. Given the opportunity multiple times over to denounce white supremacy, to detach himself and his administration from white supremacy, Donald Trump says the infamous, now infamous, stand back and stand by to both the Proud Boys and to the Oath Keepers. I, I want to understand, as, as I'm certain that you lay out before our audience, how do we get from jokes to mm. the White House mm. and in seemingly such a short period of time? 
Right. Well, you know, first of all, the the, the Proud Boys have been on a six-year parade of violence. I mean, the tongue-in-cheek nature that Gavin gave only serves to to sort of put this joking tongue-in-cheek veil in front of everything. But they have been involved in so many acts of political violence over the years, including Unite the Right, which most people don't know. Mm. Uh, uh, a Proud Boy was the organizer. And, and, uh, and Donald Trump, of course, didn't rebuff that. He said there were very fine people on both sides of the Nazi rally. So, so the, but the Proud Boy's ability to, to sort of normalize this, this political violence came with, as they were committing these acts of violence, they were sidling up to uh, upper, upper echelon of the GOP. I mean, they have friends in Donald Trump's inner circle, including Roger Stone. Um, and on top of that, they have a support network behind them of all these media pundits, including Tucker Carlson and far-right loudmouths like Tim Poole and, and all these folks. And so those relationships help them normalize the political violence up to this point. Now, Donald Trump didn't rebuff them, and the GOP has never rebuffed them because they love them. They, they've positioned yep. themselves as soldiers for Trump, they are out there since day one fighting for Trump, and Trump is giddy about this. He fucking loves it, right? And 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 so so as we got to to that point, you can argue that Trump didn't intend to activate them, or that Trump can't put together mm-hmm. a freaking sentence to save his life. But but it doesn't matter. The Proud Boys took that as marching orders. One of their own uh, uh, published a blog immediately following that uh, titled, This is Civil War. Mm. Um, they started gathering money and supplies and equipment to go to, to the Capitol. Uh, January 6th was seen as their last stand for Trump. And so the, the going forward, you know, obviously they had an outsized role in January 6th, but, but going forward, the, the GOP's inability to, to push back any of this stuff has only served to grow are extremist forces in the street. I mean, these guys are excited um, about mm. their ability to walk around unimpeded right now. You know, you said the GOP, but in the book, and you know, I've been watching the Proud Boys, and each time this happens, Daniel and I talk about it <laughs> often on the show. We're like, hmm, what would happen if Muslims or Black folks were doing this? And and the conclusion is chalk lines. There'd be chalk lines in funerals. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. you know, I, I had forgotten about the Charlottesville uh, role, in, but it was in your book. But then you also mentioned how they were openly doing this in Portland in the Northwest. Like they used to come out and aggressively with the intention to commit violence, used to commit violence and they used to intimidate folks. And the cops oftentimes, and we've seen the videos, Andy, cops kind of just chill. Sometimes they give them fist bumps. What's the role of law enforcement in, yes. in enabling or, if you will, supporting wink, wink, the Proud Boys over the past five years? Right. Well, I, I, my, the thing I bring to the table for this book is that I've been a ground level uh, extremism reporter since the rise of Trump. So I was there watching as this happened. And, and mm. so many times, I mean, especially in, in places like Portland that are supposed to be these liberal strongholds, um, police would, uh, you know, I remember one specific event um, where uh, there were Proud Boys on one side of the highway and there were a gathering of counter protesters on the other side, many of them just locals who didn't want the extremists to be in town. Between them on the highway is a line of armored police who are standing with the Proud Boys at their back, Proud Boys holding uh, uh, Blue Lives Matter flags and 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 cheering on wow. the police as they shoot munitions into the crowd. 
One of wow. uh, my colleague Christopher Matthias was on the uh, was on the the uh, uh, Antifa side or the local side, I should say, and he watched as police shot a tear gas canister into the crowd. It lodged itself into a guy's helmet. Uh, he'd be dead right now uh, without that helmet. And he was like screaming at police to to stop, and they were laughing. Um, and and you know this scene played out time and time again at, at different rallies. One of the issues is that you know police are just automatically going to side with the people who are on their side, which is not how policing should go. You should be helping the people who are being uh, invaded by extremists who have admitted that all they want to do is fight and waste the city's money, right? But but two is often police are involved. Proud Boys. I was going to say, I'm like, don't didn't they didn't they didn't we just see a leaked list of 38,000 members of the Proud Boys and I believe if off the top of my head I'm right, we had 100 active military that were a part of that list. You had close to oh was it the Oath oh, Keepers? Yeah. But, but but I'm like but 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 still there is always this this um again we, when we talk about things being interwoven this goes back to slave patrols and the the advent of of policing that it has never been about oh the taxpayers it's about white people protecting white people and white property 100%. and what I what what I want to understand Andy is that while they're holding blue lives matters you know, flags and signs in, in Portland, they were beating the hell out of them in the insurrection, right? You had not one Republican come out and, and talk and, and, and thank, thank the Capitol police and the DC metropolitan police for saving their asses. Right. And so I, I want to understand how then, you know, you had this turn of events on January 6th where, these supposed blue lives matter, you know, folks then go ahead and weaponize the American flag and anything that they can get their hands on and kill one police officer and brutalize countless others. And there were members of the Proud Boys who were also active duty police officers in the insurrectionist crowd. I mean, these people are not loyal. Leading up to January 6th, um, the Proud Boys stopped feeling like they were getting enough pr- protection uh, from police because of the arrest of Enrique Tarrio prior to that and a number of stabbings uh, that occurred at, at rallies in D.C. that they held. And they're not loyal at all. They, they will turn on you if they don't feel like they're getting uh, uh, the support that they had. But but again, I think you're right to say that, that you know, there is there is an inherent embrace that happens here between law enforcement that we absolutely still have to root out. Um, and, and, you know, I, a lot of people ask me if this is, this is our new clan walking around and it's like, there's absolutely comparisons mm-hmm. to be made. And, you know, the clan had, had inroads in law enforcement and politics and media. And, and, but you have to remember that the clan didn't, didn't lose all of its power because people rebuffed them. It's that the whole country shared that ideology, uh, to the point where they were kind of right. unneeded as a force. And so, that's the fear going forward because you have so many elements that are on their side. I mean, when when Donald Trump was president, uh, you know, having having all all of BLM and all of Antifa are terrorists and they are the enemy of the people. You're going to have the forces uh, in, in you know sending federal agents out to disappear protesters in the street. 
you can see why it was so easy for police to to fall into that. <laughs> but that hasn't changed now that we have a new new president. Um, and and you know, mm. police departments even worse uh, because it's not illegal to be a proud boy. Uh, police departments often don't do anything when they find out they have a proud boy in their ranks. So it, we have such a huge culture shift to go through to to stomp out this problem uh, because it, it it's it's again looking a lot like like the Klan did in the twenties. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You know, Andy. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Danielle. I was just going to say, it just, you know, when you just said it's not illegal to be a proud boy, my like my eyes light up again because I'm like, oh, that's right. Because we don't even have laws on the books in this in this country about domestic about domestic terrorism. Because terrorists are only we only consider terrorists people that look like me and Wash, right? Yep. As as, as a as you, your increase in melanin makes you a terrorist, mm-hmm. right? And so the fact is that we could very readily put the proud boys, the oath keepers, the three percenters, all of these people in their place. If we did what the Southern poverty law center has done and labeled them a fucking hate group and a terrorist organization and wipe them out. But when we get Intel, like what was given to the FBI, they decide to, to shell that and decide that they're going to open up a department that's going to investigate black extremism. Right. Tell me how many black cops we have that are in that are in law enforcement sitting in politics that are the ones that are that are wielding power right now, you know, with with the with the mindset of black supremacy, whatever bullshit that comes out of the Republicans mouths. Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting conversation with the domestic terrorism statute, because I I spoke to an FBI agent who was like, you know, based on Trump's actions, I don't know if we want one of those because if Trump, you know, Trump declared Antifa terrorism terrorists, which was a total empty gesture. But what if it wasn't? What if he decided to start pointing out Antifa people in the street and those people would be behind bars? But obviously, right. yep. law enforcement has uh, has tools on its belt to be able to to uh, prosecute these things because they're prosecuting 
uh, uh, activists and anti-fascists and Black Lives Matter activists all the time for RICO and all, all these other things. So there's certainly that we have the tools to, to go after groups like this, and we're just not doing it. Andy, I, let's stick on January 6th for a second, because I, I still don't think people know the full extent of the plan that the Proud Boys wanted to execute. I still don't think people realize the threat that the Proud Boys are to national security. Take us to that day and, and just explain to the listeners what they actually wanted to achieve. Thankfully, they didn't, but it was close. Right. Well, in, in, you know, until uh, the seditious conspiracy charges came down, we didn't realize how much at least the Justice Department believes that that these guys were not only you know, have an outsized role in, in being there, but in an active role in planning the thing. Uh, the 1776 returns document that Enrique Tario had in December shows that they wanted to occupy federal buildings in D.C. Um, and they wanted to take over. They wanted to, I mean, there were, you know, 50 to 100 Proud Boys there. Um, mm -hmm. they, had, uh, they had lots of money. They had lots of equipment. And they, their biggest threat, which is coalition building, they had lots of guys with them. Um, and they were ready to not only overturn the election, but they, you know, people chanting that they wanted to kill Mike Pence. I mean, these guys wanted to mm -mm. take over, fire burning, like end the thing. And they were so excited. I mean, the Proud Boy was the first to breach the Capitol. These guys ripped through police barricades, um, uh, you know, pulled police into the crowd, stole their, stole their equipment from them and attacked them with it. And, and then they, they had breached the building. Um, you know, the fact that they were steps away from, from, from lawmakers, I mean, those people would have died. Uh, there, there's they would have killed no Mike question. Pence, right? I mean, that was not a joke. They would have uh, killed him. Totally. Totally. They had, a, they had a gallows. Yeah. They had a fucking gallows. Right. They would have hung him on the steps of the Capitol building. And even, you know, I often think about that. I, I mean, like all of us, I think about that day all the time because I think to myself, where would we be right now if one of if if Mike Pence or one of the members of Congress were murdered? Mm. Right. Like where where would the country be? Would we still be in this place of you have the Republican Party saying that this was nothing more than uh, a tour gone wild? They called it right? legitimate political Versus, discourse. Uh, I'm sorry, legitimate yeah. political discourse. And would it be legitimate political discourse if Josh Hawley, who was seen running for his fucking life, you know, was caught up and was shot? Right. Like th th these are the things that drive me absolutely crazy because I'm like, until somebody gets hurt, until somebody gets killed, I don't think that the the that America is going, Andy, to wrap its mind around the fact that we have open operating terrorist cells in this country mm. that we are allowing to continue to openly operate. So the last question for you is. What do you believe the media's responsibility to be in this moment in the rise of white domestic terrorism in this country? Yeah, well, it's twofold. I mean, to your point, if Mike Pence would have died, I think that uh, the same thing would have happened because Tucker Carlson maintains that Antifa did January 6th. And so, the, you know, this, there, this is a two-sided answer because on one hand, you have this sweeping support network from the most popular news agency in the world mm. pushing, uh, you know, 
you know, holding water for our extremist forces right now because they believe that they're our necessary defense force against the left. And so that is a huge obstacle for getting anything done. Every single time the, you know, uh, Congress has a hearing on hate or white supremacy, uh, Republicans bring in some dingus from Fox News to uh, decry white supremacy as a thing in general. And so they end up arguing about whether white supremacy exists instead of talking about responses. So that's one side of it. You've got that. The other side of it is that the classic newsroom is ill-equipped to handle this. I work at HuffPost and we are able to write the way that we want and and, and call a spade a spade and, and call a Nazi a Nazi. But in most newsrooms, when when you have uh, when you have something, an extremist problem like this, they think that giving that problem the same platform as they do that problem's victims, uh, uh, that, that that's fair. And it's not fair, obviously, because these guys mm-hmm. are utilizing the media as their platform. I was standing uh, on the anniversary of, of Unite the Right. I was standing in Charlottesville next to a black UVA professor who had taken a call from an Associated Press reporter who wanted to uh, do a side-by-side interview with her and Jason Kessler. Jason Kessler being a neo-Nazi and a proud boy who organized Unite the Right. And she's like, you want me to debate somebody who doesn't think that I'm fully human? Fuck you, right? And and, and for her. obviously that was the right way to go. But the fact that we're still doing that shows how far beyond, behind we are. Yep. Um, doing Nazi next door takes asking, you know, going into Gavin McGinnis's home and doing a profile where you're like, hey, do you do violence? We've seen him do violence over and over and over and over again. Look like, at his handlebar mustache. He dresses so well. <laughs> yeah. Look at his haircut. Yeah. I mean, there, there was literally an ABC feature where they went into his home and his wife's like making sandwiches for their kids in the back. And he's like, we're just really misunderstood. It's like, we see it. We have the video. We've been watching you for years do this shit. And so uh, we have a long way to go in terms of getting the mainstream media up to speed and being like, these guys are Nazis. If you're going to quote them, say this is this guy's a liar and then remind them that he lied after he said it. Like, that's the only way that you can quote these people. And that's why I have so many few, so few proud boys actually quoted directly. I will paraphrase what they say. But in the Mm -hmm. book, you know, I'm not going to give them the platform Mm. because all they do is lie for their own benefit. And then on the other side, we have to fight back against misinformation and the crazy, crazy media apparatus we have on the right because it's just in, in la la land right now. Thank you, Andy, for proving yet again on Democracy-ish that it's good to be a white terrorist. (laughs) Yeah, my God. (laughs) It's a good time for extremists, that's for sure. The book is We Are Proud Boys, How a Right-Wing Street Gang Ushered in a New Era of American Extremism. It's a fantastic book. I highly recommend people read it. It's sobering, but it's important. And Andy is also the senior editor of Huffington Post. Thanks so much for taking time, Andy. Thank you. You guys rock. I appreciate the convo. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I am Danielle Moody. I'm Wajahat Ali. And we will be back next week if, in fact, we have a country left. Inshallah. Inshallah.